2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to try and preach to you tonight about what repentance does. What repentance does. So you pray for me. I don't really have a whole lot of notes. I don't have any. I showed Brother Michael my, my outline this evening. So y'all better pray for me. So, but I, I really, this is on my mind, on my heart. So I just want to come through the, probably be a short message this evening. I'm not intending on keeping you very long. Although if the Lord puts a lot on my heart as we go, I'll try and say everything that I feel like I need to say. But I try not to keep you very long this evening. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, let's have a, have a word of prayer and we'll look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, help us tonight, God, I pray. Lord, I have a grand propensity, Lord, to mess things up, God, this evening. Lord, I'm apt, God, to say things, Lord, that maybe aren't true or, God, maybe things that are a little bit foolish. And I pray that you'd help me tonight. God, give me wisdom. Lord, give me understanding. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to say things, Lord, that are right and true and pure and holy. God, things that would be glorifying to you. God, things that would magnify the Word of God. And, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to your people's hearts. God, help us, Lord. We need help. And, God, Lord, we need to get right with you. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help me. God, Lord, I pray that you'd show me, God, the places in my heart and life, God, where I need to tighten up. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I will say that if you're going to have holiness in any way, shape, or form to any degree, that's how you're going to get it. You're going to get it by fearing God. Uh, this country is so messed up and society is so messed up because there's just no fear. There's no fear of God anywhere. The Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Romans, there's no fear of God before their eyes. And you want to get into a place to where you just begin to fall apart and things in your life, your, your mentality, your philosophy of life begins to just come apart at the seams. Just get to a place to where you're not afraid of God anymore. I've told you several times, and I'll tell you again this evening, I was out at, at the prison working out there, and the training administrator came to me. He's a Mormon fella, and he came to me and had, saw a bumper sticker on the back of my truck that said, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Now, now listen, I, I'm going to just tell you, I'm not very smart. I, I'm not very intelligent, but I got better sense than to argue with a verse of Scripture. Well, apparently, some folks don't. And so this fellow came to me and he said, would you rather your kids fear you or love you? I said, both. See, you, you're living in a country right now to where people pit love against fear. I love my daddy, but I'm afraid of him. You know what we call that? Respect. <laughs> just... Uh, that, that's the way it rolls, my friend. That's the way it rolls. I believe it's very possible to love God, and it's also very possible to, to fear Him at the same time. And as a matter of fact, I believe, I believe that the Scripture bears witness to the fact that if you say you love Him and don't fear Him, then what you're, what you're going to end up doing is trampling all over His principles. I know that God, God loved me enough to send His Son to die for my sins. I know that. But that same God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Why? It's because he wakes up every morning mad, I suppose, mad at the world, mad, mad at wicked folks. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's, there's some folks the Lord's really upset with. The Lord's really upset with them. 
But look here in verse 2. He said, Receive us. We have wronged no man. I'm not really trying to preach about all that stuff. That's just right there, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul said, Receive us. Receive us. Now listen, don't you know that that's what a preacher wants? He wants to be received. Some fellows will take that. Some preachers will take that to such an extent that they compromise to be received. Paul was not one of those fellows. <laughs> Paul, Paul would just as soon tell you to drop dead than to compromise with you. And I, I believe with all of my heart, that's, that's pretty strong there. I believe with all my heart, Paul loved people. Amen. I believe with all my heart, Paul loved folks. But Paul was not interested in, Paul was not interested in uh, compromising with people. But at the same time, at the same time, he, verse 2, receive us. Preachers, listen, when preachers stand up and preach a message and preach it with strong language, preach it with vigor, that guy still wants to be received. And I'm not even necessarily talking about the preacher's person, although that's true. That's what gets a lot of preachers compromising. But I will say this, what he wants to be received is what he's saying. Well, preachers don't get up and preach sermons just for the sake of, well, some preachers do. They do get up and preach sermons just for the sake of preaching. The Bible calls those people hirelings. That's getting up and preparing sermons and, you know, just doing it just for a paycheck. Which, if you do that for a paycheck, independent Baptist is the wrong field. Because that just... There's not a whole lot of profit in it. So there's, there's, there's another reason why preachers preach what they do, what they preach. That's because they want what they preach. They want, they want to be received. That's what Paul said. Receive us. We've wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We have defrauded no, no man. Now listen, let me say something about that thing right there. He says, receive us. We've wronged no man. Now, that's a far cry from the opinion of most people that sit in independent Baptist churches. Brother P.J., we're, we're at a spot now. I'm trying to preach on the radio now and preach sermons, preach the gospel, and preach what I feel like the Lord puts on my heart. And I find more often than not that I, am, I, I feel like I am preaching more to my own crowd. I'm preaching more to independent Baptists than I am to anybody else. You go back, go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and listen to a guy like Dr. Ruckman preach on the radio. You go back to the 60s and listen to a guy like Oliver B. Green. Oliver B. Green spent a lot of his ministry just preaching the gospel and trying to get God's people established. Dr. Ruckman, when he got on there, man, he'd give Church of Christ and uh, just all kinds of people. He'd give them the what for, man. Just give them the what for. Well, man, our... Our denomination has gone so far in left field, I feel like when I get up and preach, I've got to spend half, half of the sermon just trying to preach to independent Baptists to get them right back to where they need to be. I just don't understand why preachers preach so much about independent Baptists. It's because independent ba Baptists are backslid. Years ago, it was that independent Baptists were the salt. They were the people that were holding the rest of the, rest of the liberals in line, trying to hold the rest of the liberals in line. It ain't that way no more. Amen. Amen. I got up here and said something. I, I forget when it was, maybe Wednesday night, but you got independent, so-called independent Baptist churches with purple lights in their auditorium. I don't care how you feel about that. That is straight out of hell. That looks like a cotton pick, and I said it Wednesday night. looks like a strip club. That, ain't, that stuff ain't no more independent. It, it ain't Christian. Let me just put it there. Let me just say it ain't Christian. It ain't Christian. You're going to put a little disco light somewhere in the church so that everybody can have a light show in church. You ain't coming to church to be entertained. You're coming to church to be preached to. 
And if you ain't coming for that reason, but man, we've wronged no man. I said all of that because I was trying to get on this. We've wronged no man is what Paul said. We've wronged no man. Or not according to most folks that are sitting in independent Baptist churches. I've been done wrong by a preacher. And listen, if you have been done wrong by an independent Baptist preacher, I'm not trying to make light of that. I understand that there's knuckleheads in pulpits. I understand that. But the good possibility is that you weren't done wrong. The good possibility is that you were the one that was wrong and got in the line of fire. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says, received us. Receive us. We wronged. We have wronged no man. Look at what he says. Same statement. We've corrupted no man. How many of y'all been led to go down to the bar and get you a, a drink of liquor off the church pew? You may have done it off the church pew, but if that preacher was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he's not the one that led you there. I've been wronged. I've been wronged in church. You mean the preacher standing up and telling you that you better stay away from booze and that you better keep your hands to yourself? Telling you that you better quit hugging on everybody inside the church? I was listening to Brother Mike the other day, and he was talking about how when he first came here the first time, folks in this church was hugging all over each other. And he said, you better stop that mess. You better cut that up. Oh, Brother Mike, just being extreme, just being a legalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ended in disaster later on with some folks, but nonetheless, don't, don't want to go into all that. Well, he corrupted no man. No preacher that's doing, hey, hey, look up here. No preacher that's ever been doing what he's supposed to be doing, he ain't corrupted you. You ain't jumped off the church pew and ran out there into the world getting involved in a bunch of mess. This is the place where you come to be taught, to, to be exhorted, to be uh, edified and staying away from that garbage. You ain't been done by, wrong by no independent Baptist preacher who's been doing what he's supposed to be doing. Hey Amen. You need to get over yourself. Get your big fat thumb out of your mouth. Put your passy away. Get your bottle, quit drinking all the milk, get you some T-bones and start eating and grow up. You ain't been wronged. You ain't been corrupted, not here. I just don't understand all this hard preaching. That's the thing. That's the thing that you need. That's the thing that you need. You need a preacher to come along and put his finger in your face and say, you ain't right with God. Quit that foolishness so that you'll quit. You say, Brother Nathan, we all right with God. Let me tell you something. I walk in the same kind of flesh that you walk in, and I have to surround myself with tons of preaching to stay right through the week. Three times a week just ain't hardly enough. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All it takes is for some fellow to stand up here and just start going through the motions and just kind of take it a little bit easy. Just lay off the, the exhortation, lay off the rebuke a little bit, and it won't be very long. You'll be found messing around with a bunch of trash you ain't got no business messing around with. That's flesh. That's flesh. You ain't been corrupted by no preacher. Receive us. We've wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We've defrauded no man. There are crooks out there, plenty of them. Most of them's on TV. Like it or lump it, that's just the way it is. Most of them on TV. But I'll say this, most preachers in a small town like this, of course, I can't even say that anymore. There are crooks even in small towns like this. But I'm telling you, a preacher that's preaching it hot and preaching it straight, he ain't trying to get something out of your wallet. That's not the way you get stuff out of people's wallet. You know how you get, you know how you get money out of people's wallet? Provide them with a service. 
Give them a service. You know how Verizon gets money out of your wallet? They provide you with a service. You know how Dish Network gets money out of your wallet? Of course, I recommend against that. But you do what you want to do. That's your business. All I'm telling you is that might account for a cold spiritual state. Yes, sir. It not, it's no might to it. It does. It will. Of course, that phone will, too, if you let it. Yes, sir. But nonetheless, you know, how, you know how this network gets money out of your wallet? They provide you with a service. And so when a preacher is after your wallet, when he's after your money, you know what he does? He provides you with a service. You know what Verizon does? They try to do what they can to do the, have the best customer service that there is. Give you a complaint department. If, they, if you come to them with a complaint, they say, well, all right, I understand what's going on. And they try to talk to you real nice. And so preachers that are providing a service now, when the church member runs up to them and says, I don't like how hard you preached. Okay, well, I understand your complaint. Come on, let's sit down in my office and we'll figure out how we can take care of this. That's a preacher providing a service. He might as well just go ahead and put him a box in the back of the building and say, you can put in suggestions for what you'd like to hear preached on. Because he ain't praying. He's not reading his Bible. He's letting the people dictate to him the message from God for the week. And he can go plumb to the devil with it. Amen. Defrauding people. Paul said, we ain't done that. Receive us. Receive us. We've wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We've defrauded no man. He says in verse 3, this ain't even the message yet. He said, this, I speak not this to condemn you, for I've said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I'm filled with comfort. I'm, I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, were, within were fields, fears. Now listen, if you want a good understanding of what the Christian life is like, that's a good statement right there that characterizes the Christian life. I fall prey to it myself. Listen, I believe we, we are people of comfort. We like to feel comfortable. We do not like anything to rattle us. We do not like anything to provide any kind of adversity. But I got news for you. That's what this Christian life is. Fight the good fight of faith. You know what's waiting for you in this Christian life? Persecution. Trouble. Sorrow. And you know what the Lord promised in the middle of all that? If you be obedient to him, if you walk with him, joy. But that's not going to do away with all the sorrow, with all the heartache that's waiting for you in this life. Paul told, the, Paul, Paul told a group of folks, he said that we, through much tribulation, must enter into the kingdom of God. Which I, I suppose that tells me, that, that should tell you, that should be an indication why a lot of folks don't, aren't, aren't in the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. Salvation's a free gift, but I'm talking about getting into that place where there's peace, where there's joy, and where there's righteousness. Not willing to go through anything, not willing to put up with anything. I mean, if folks can't put up with hard preaching, quote, unquote, whatever that is, I, I know you're not going to put up with the reprobate down at work calling you a narrow-minded bigot because you believe what you believe about whatever that he disagrees with you about. 
That's right. That's right, my friend. There's something, something bad wrong about that stuff. Something bad wrong about that stuff. He says, without were fightings, were then were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And he said, verse 7, not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Now listen, you go back and you read 1 Corinthians. We've been studying through 1 Corinthians on and off for a little while now. We're at about chapter 8. I thought about teaching that in Sunday school this morning, but nonetheless, we're right around 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And you know, 1 Corinthians is not an epistle of... You know what 1 Corinthians is? 1 Corinthians is a book where Paul takes off his belt and he starts whooping people. He makes him a little whip and he starts running people out of the temple like Jesus did, so to speak. He doesn't do that literally, but that's about the, the language that he uses. You think Paul enjoyed that? I don't believe he did. We're going to look at a verse here in just a second that indicates that he didn't. It bothered him, but he had to do it. And he said, he said, verse 6, he said, Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. I guess Titus is on down there down at Corinth, and he's watching all this stuff. Paul's done wrote him a letter. Paul's done wrote him 1 Corinthians, wrote him chapters 1 all the way through chapter 16, and it's just one big fat rebuke with the exception of a couple of passages. Boy, it's starting to make folks uncomfortable. And Paul's sitting there in his chair. He's sitting around wondering, thinking, man, I wonder how those people's minds are going to be towards me. You don't reckon a preacher thinks about that kind of stuff? Go sit down with a pastor on Monday morning. Uh, I think it was my mama used to tell me that my, my papa, her daddy, used to resign every Monday morning. And then about Wednesday, sometime Wednesday morning, he'd decide to go back at it. You say, what's going on? You stand up and you preach to people. You stand up and tell, give people the what for. You walk away saying, man, I, I wonder how they're going to think about me. If you're not careful, listen, if you're not careful, you begin to think that a preacher's a sissy for thinking that way. You forget that a preacher's a person. Can't let that stuff affect the message because God's message is bigger than you. That's true. It's just, it's just bigger than us. It don't matter how I feel about it. It don't matter if you get upset with me about that stuff or any other preacher for that matter. Preacher's got to preach what God puts on his heart as long as it's true, right? Okay, so then he's got to preach the truth and somebody gets mad about it, then it just, it is what it is. But boy, that preacher's going to sit down and think, man, I wonder how they're thinking about me. I wonder how their mind is toward me. Well, Titus comes. Titus comes to him from Corinth. And he gives him good news. He said, verse 7, not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. You know what Titus came and told Paul? He said, them people still love you. Paul, you came in and you reamed them out. You told them to take this guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and put him out. You chewed them out for speaking in tongues out of order in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. They still love you. You say, what is that? That's a process of repentance that took place down there at Corinth. We're fixing to hit it. But that's, what, that's what's going on in the mind of Paul, just looking at what's written there. Man, I really gave them folks the what for, man. I kind of wonder what's really going on down there. And all of a sudden, Titus dries up.
Preacher, they still love you. They still got their mind towards you. That's what he said. He said, he told me your earnest desire, your mourning, your mourning. Preacher, when they, got that, when they got that epistle from you, when you chewed them out over that stuff, they started crying over it. Boy, I tell you, it's real heartbreaking. It's real heartbreaking to get up and try to preach your guts out and watch people not be moved by it. Some of that, some of that is because ill preparation on the part of a preacher. I'll, I'll grant you that just so that you know that I know it's not one-sided. But a lot of times, it's because somebody sitting in the pew is just so far, so cold, so distant from God. Man, you, you couldn't take dynamite and blast them out of their seat. It's hard to preach that way. We're going to preach anyway. We've got to. We're going to pray anyway. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to try and get filled with God, try and get as filled with God's book as we possibly can. And we're going to try and get down there in your face and say, you're still wrong. You still need to get right with God. But boy, I'm telling you, it's discouraging. It's discouraging to watch people get that far, far out look in their face. It's discouraging, Brother Chris, to sit down and watch kids, Jasmine's age, sit there and stare you right in the face while you're preaching as long as you're not making eye contact with you. And as soon as you turn around and start looking at them, they... Something's going on, Brother Pedro. Something's, something's not ringing right in somebody's heart. Heartbreaking, because what can you do about it? But that's not what was going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going somewhere. I'm building a case. I'm trying to build a little bit of background here. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here comes Titus, and he said, man, Titus said, hey, when they, uh, when they got that letter from you, boy, they, they cried over it. And hey, they still like you. You know the preachers who I like the most, Brother Tommy? The preachers that I like the most are the preachers that will stand up and tell me what is true about myself that I do not want to hear. That's the preachers I like the best. I love teaching. I love teaching. I love it when a guy will stand up. Listen, I love it when a guy will stand up and go line by line and give me something to think about and give me something and connect the dots so that I've been, I've been reading through my Bible and he'll pull this passage out and he'll take this passage and he'll put those things together. I love, I love preaching that way. I love teaching that way. But the stuff that I really appreciate is the guy who will sit there and put his finger in my face and say, you're not right because of X, Y, and Z and you need to get it right or judgment's coming. You say, why do you appreciate that? Because a lot of times in my life, a lot of times in my life, I've taken that advice and I got right with God and I watched somebody else sit right on the same pew that I was sitting in in the church and watch them turn that stuff away and now I see where I'm at and I see where they're at and I'm glad, I'm glad a preacher preached to me the way that he did. I like it. I like it. I don't like it when I'm being preached to. I don't like it when I'm being raked over the coals. But I appreciate it in the long run. I appreciate a preacher telling me what's wrong. I don't appreciate no cotton-picking preacher apologizing for stuff. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate it when a preacher will just stand back and tell me the truth. Don't appreciate it always in the moment. But I, I appreciate it. And listen, when a preacher does that, when a preacher does that, listen, Proverbs chapter 2 says that you're supposed to incline your ear to instruction. 
Some Christians' ears not inclined to instruction. And you can tell when the instruction goes out because it's rejected. And listen, let's not be, let's not be so, so super pious and let's not be so ridiculous as to think that your reception or rejection of something doesn't show up on your face. It shows up. It shows up. It's like that thing that I said this morning. Hey, do this. And while you do it, smile, would you please? It'd do you well. Even, even it'd do you well. When the preacher says something, it'd do you well. Just say, but then I'd be a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite anyway. It's okay. Amen. Just say amen and we'll go on and we'll just ignore it. How's that? That's true. But nonetheless, he says, for though I made you, look here in verse 8, he says, for though I made you, let me back up and say this about verse 7. He said, so that I rejoice the more. Hey, receive us. I gave you the what for. Titus came and told me that you're not mad at me. He told me that you mourned. He told me that you've still got an, a fervent mind towards me. Made me rejoice. I'm telling you, listen, when somebody, when somebody puts their finger in your face, listen, when somebody puts their finger, in, I'm talking about a preacher. Preacher puts his finger in your face. He's not doing that because he hates you. Some preachers probably are doing it because they hate you. I don't know. But I don't believe that preachers do that because they hate you. It'd be much easier to just go along with the crowd and just let the crowd dictate what to preach. Preacher puts his finger in your face and says, you need to get right with God. And then he walks away and he sits in his office. He sits in his study and he cries about the thing and he prays. And then when he watches you go down to an altar or he watches you over the course of the next two or three or four or five, six weeks, watches you get closer, watches you respond to that truth that's been presented, boy, there's something in his heart that says, Phew. That puts a little gas in his tank, so to speak. It's a whole lot better. It's a whole lot better than standing behind the pulpit and preaching the truth and watching people leave the church because they're mad about something that the preacher said that hurt my feelings. And let me just say this. Some folks are real close to that. Some folks, I'm not talking about folks in this church. I'm talking about folks in general. You say, well, that's a dumb statement. Well, it might be a dumb statement until I say this. Some folks are real close to that, and they don't realize how close they are. You don't realize how close you are to just letting one little thing that's said from the pulpit, letting it just get in like a burr under your saddle, and then just irritating, 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 irritating until you decide, well, this is just not the church for me. That's not what a preacher's looking for. That, listen, beyond all of that, I'm preaching to you about the effect of repentance and trying to give you an aspect about what Paul's going through here. And so I'm talking about a preacher's not looking for that, but let me say this, above anything else, God's not looking for that. God shoots straight. God believes in telling the truth whether you like it or not. But God's not telling you the truth so that you'll back out and leave. God's not trying to run anybody off from his church. This is God's church. This church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He bled. He died. He paid for it with his own blood. It's, it's God's church. It's not my church. It's God's church. Not your church. It's God's church. God's not trying to run folks off from here. God just ain't going to compromise to keep you. You understand that concept? So the Lord is going to tell you the truth. The Lord wants you to have a life that's put together. So God's going to tell you the truth. He's going to send a man to sit and give you the truth. And then if you have to walk away from that because you're not willing to 
at least give it a shot, at least pray about it, then that has to be on your shoulders. It's not on God's shoulders. It's not on the Lord's shoulders. Well, look at what he says here. Let me get on with the message before I ramble too much. Look here. He says, verse 8, he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. There it is. I wrote you 1 Corinthians, the first epistle to the church at Corinth. And boy, it's a rough letter. It's a straight letter. Loved them. But boy, it's a straight letter. You need to take this guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that's got this immoral problem, and you need to deliver him over to the devil. To the devil. I just don't believe we should do stuff like that. You're wrong. God believes you should. Turn him over to the, to the devil for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. See, there's a possibility of salvation in that. Not salvation in the sense of going to heaven, but there's something that can be salvaged. There's something that can still be yet put together. Straight, straight letter. He wrote that thing, and he said, I'm not sorry that I wrote it, neither. That's what he said. He said, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Stood up here and stood on the pew and got down in somebody's face and said, you're wrong! Walked away. Somebody came up to him and said, don't you think that was a little excessive? Nope. If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it just the same way. I'm not sorry. I, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. What's the next phrase? Though I did repent. Paul got up there and stood in somebody's face and screamed at him. said, you better get right with God. And then he went back to his office. You believe Paul had an office? It was a mobile office. Aboard ships in chains. That was his internet connection. Sitting there thinking, man, I really don't like doing that. I wonder if I should have maybe handled it a little bit of a different way. I wonder if I could have said things a little bit different. He's writing a letter. He's not preaching to them. He can't see their facial reaction, but he's telling them the truth. Don't you know the devil used that to wear on him? Maybe I shouldn't have been so straight in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Maybe I could have said some things a little bit different in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that maybe wouldn't have blasted them so hard. I wonder what, what things are going to be like. But somewhere, somewhere after he, he sent that letter off, somewhere after he sent that epistle off to the point of where he's at now, he said, no, it's right. It's just right. Did what, I, did what I knew to do at the time, just going to have to roll with it. You think Paul knew enough to write a letter? As far as about the things that he was writing, I mean, he's the guy, for crying out loud, who got the revelation of the church. I think he was authoritative enough to write it. But Paul was a person. And boy, I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if Paul was a person just as much flesh and blood as I am, Bible says about Elijah, that man who called fire down out of heaven, who cried out to God and said, Lord, don't let it rain, and God turned the water faucet off for three years. He was a man of like passions as we are. As far as his manhood, as far as his personhood, he's just like us. 
You say, why did, why did Elijah run from Jezebel when she came up and told him, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to make you just like one of those prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow. Why did he run? Because he's just like you. He's just like me. I could understand why he run. What did David do when Saul got after him? David's brave, but he ain't stupid. Mm -hmm. Get up and preach, and the whole church looks like they're mad at you. I wonder if I did that right. Let it sit for about six months. You know what you do? Well, it's still here. I ain't run nobody off yet. And you know what? They look like they're better for it. Just have to trust the Lord with it. You say they're better in spite of it. Okay, then we'll trust the Lord with that too. That's something to think about. <clears throat> I wonder, Brother Pedro, I'm getting ready to go down here to work. I wonder if I should say something to this old rascal down here that I work with about doing the right thing about such and such an issue. Well, I better not because if I say that, I'm probably going to hurt his feelings or I'm probably going to say something that's stupid or maybe a little bit off. Well, welcome to pastoring. Just say it, man. Let it fly. Oh, but I'm really going to make a mess out of things. You're making a mess out of things by not saying anything. Just pew. Shoot that little pea shooter, man. Trust the Lord. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being a, a fool. I'm just talking about trusting the Lord. What you may find out is that fellow may come back. He'll probably get mad at you. He'll probably sit there and listen to what you say. And of course, he might cuss you out. You never know. He might let you have it. But I'll tell, tell you what he might do. He might sit there and think about that thing and get angry with you. Your mom or your daddy, your uncle, your grandma, whoever it might be. They might sit there and get real mad about the thing. Six months later, when they get in dire straits, they come to you and say, Hey, I need you to pray with me about something. Would you pray for me? How do you know? Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. Well, verse 8, he said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. I was sorry, but I ain't sorry now. He said, verse 8, For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. It was just a short time. Those folks, when they got that letter, boy, God raked them over the coals. You say, that was Paul. That was the Lord. That was God using Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, sitting there just writing out what he understands, sitting there uh, talking this stuff, and some guy sitting there scribing, just writing all this stuff, and here he goes and he sends this off. And boy, God is using that stuff to rake that church down there at Corinth, one of the most carnal churches ever been in existence as far as the record of the Scripture goes, one of the most carnal churches, and boy, just raked them over the coals. And you know what they did? They got sorry. I don't mean sorry like won't go to work. I mean sorry like, oh. At that point, they got two options. Look at what he says. He said, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Now, that's an interesting statement. We'll come back to that here in just a second. But verse 10, he said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, 
not to be repentant of, but the sorrow of the, of the world worketh death. See, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow, and then there's a sorrow of this world. Somebody, the truth comes along. Some preachers stand up and preach what's right. You've got two places that you can go. You can go to this place of godly sorrow, or you can go to this place of this worldly kind of sorrow. You know how you can spot the godly sorrow? It's by the stuff that follows in the next couple of verses. That leads to a place of repentance. You know how you can spot a worldly sorrow? It's something more along the lines of this. We have a modern-day term for that. It's called pouting. Nobody understands my situation. Sure we do. As a matter of fact, somebody who's preaching to you or somebody that's telling you the truth understands your situation better than you do. I know that's real arrogant. But you're the one that's sitting there drowning in your own depression, drowning in your own discouragement. The guy who's giving you the instruction is trying to extend a hand to help you get out of that mess. He knows more about your situation than you do, obviously. He's not discouraged. <laughs> He's not depressed. You see what I'm saying? That's a worldly sorrow. You know where you can see that in the scripture? Judas. Oh, man. I sold the Lord out. Here's 30 pieces of silver. Runs back in there to those scribes and Pharisees and says, Hey, I betrayed innocent blood. It's not our problem. Throws it down. What's he do? Go out and find God. He goes out and hangs himself. Goes out and commits suicide. He'd rather, he'd rather end his entire life than face up with the one that he betrayed. John knew where he was. Peter knew where he was. Of course, Peter was hiding. Jesus' mother knew where he was. When they crucified Jesus Christ, a lot of them was standing down there at the foot of the cross. Why was Judas not anywhere to be found? He could have repented. Looks to me like he just wanted somebody to feel sorry for him. Wanted to have an exaggerated pity party, so I just end it all. These Baptists just don't understand my situation. That's because your situation is stupid. Amen. It's a stupid situation. You got yourself there by pouting. You got yourself there by living wrong. And now that you're there and somebody's trying to help you, mom and daddy come along and say, well, you messed up on this. Let me show you how to get it right. No, thanks. Well, okay, sit there and pout about it, doofus. And yet somehow, Brother Chris, somehow when somebody talks that straight, it's that guy's fault. Or it's mom and daddy's fault. I've been abused. What, what, what exactly do you classify as abuse? Well, my daddy called me names when I was growing up. You call that abuse? You, need, you should have been a fly on the wall in my house. Daddy was not the one to worry about. I love my mama, my soul. My mama's a force to be reckoned with. My mama's got a bad shoulder. I'd still be a little hesitant to say something smart to her. Hey, man, we could tell a lot of stories about that, but I won't. 
Uh, I will tell you one. <laughs> one time my brother and I got in a bad fight. We, got in, we used to fight. I, I know you can't believe that, but me and Douglas used to fight. I mean, we used to fight. He would be mean. He was a brute, but I would fight dirty. I was dirty about stuff, man. My brother had said something smart to me or something. I don't, I don't remember what it was, and I had a belt with a belt buckle on it. I took that thing and wrapped it around the bottom of his legs. I wound up in the closet. Mama came in, and the world ended. That's all I'll say. We forgot about the belt and the belt buckle, and we forgot about the closet. All we thought was, dear Lord, please come back and deliver us from this great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. <clears throat> what that has to do with sorrowing to godly sorrow or... You just don't understand my situation. That's what all that had to do with that. Somehow, somehow it turns out to be the problem of the guy who's trying to help you out. That stuff's being supported by Congress now, by the way. It's been that way for a long time, but it's especially being pushed now. They're going to try and push it harder and harder. And all I'm telling you, all I'm telling you is I don't give a rip what the United States of America says. I don't care what Congress says. I don't care what the president says, whether it's Biden or Trump. I don't care what they say. God's principles still stand. It's not, it's not the problem of the person that's trying to extend you a hand and give you some instruction. It's your fault if you turn it away. You want to sit on your rump and pout about things, about life not turning out? Do something different. It's insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect things to turn out differently every time. You just, listen, can I just say it with as much charity as I can? You're dumb. You are dumb. You're dumber than a barrel of hair. Change what you're doing. Quit, quit getting into this mode of a worldly sorrow. Get to a place of godly sorrow. Yes, sir. Now, back up to verse 9. I told you, I told you that I was going to say something about this, and so I'm going to be a man of my word. God forbid a preacher lie. But he said, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for, that, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Ye were made, let me read it again. Ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might, not, that ye might receive damage by us, in nothing. You know what the insinuation of that statement is? If they would have went the other route and went to this worldly sorrow, they would have received damage by Paul. Goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the message. I've been hurt in church. You know who says that, by the way? Oprah Winfrey. See what side you're on? You're saying that because she's black. I'm saying that because she's stupid. You don't, you don't like Oprah Winfrey? No. I don't like anything that has to do with Oprah Winfrey. She's a liberal of the worst kind. Amen. Amen. I want to talk bad about preachers. And yet she herself is an absolute reprobate. Oh, she does all this wonderful stuff for all the little kids starving in Egypt. So... Say some names that some other folks have done for, that look like real good things. But, man, they're, they're reprobates. Hey, man, I'd say them if I could think of their names. <laughs> but I can't think of their names. Don't want to waste no more time. It's godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow. 
You say, what are you talking about? Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, when you experience godly sorrow, it's something that you don't have to be sorry that you, get, that you did. I'm not sorry that I ever, I'm not sorry that I've ever gotten right with God. That may not make much sense as a, as a grammatical statement, but the fact that I've gotten right with God about some things, I'm not sorry that I've ever done that. Preacher stood up, put his finger in my face, said, hey, you need to get right with God. Thought about the thing and said, boy, I don't like that, but boy, that's true. God helped me. Began to get my heart right, got my, my mind into a frame of repentance. God, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Never been sorry I did that. It's a godly sorrow that has no need to be repented of. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You say, that's repentance to salvation. Not, not, it's not always talking about salvation of the soul. It can be talking about salvation from a particular situation or a circumstance. You know how some Christians could get out of the current situation that they're in? Just repent. Just say, Lord, I, I got myself into this mess. I made all of this. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. God, I'm sorry. I really mean it. I'm not just saying this so you'll bail me out. Lord, I made a mess out of this. God will say, okay, here's the instruction. Here's what you need to start doing to put things in order. Things to get, begin to get tight in your finances, that's probably because you've got a bag with holes somewhere and you're putting money in that bag. You're trying to save it up. And as fast as you're putting it in, that money's falling out the other side. That bag might be your television. That bag might be your cell phones. I don't know what it is. I really don't know. I don't believe it's a sin to have a cell phone. But I know, boy, people tend to put a lot of emphasis on the carnal things of this life, put very little emphasis on spiritual things. That's just the way that we are. So what are you doing? You're putting, putting your money in a bag with holes. As fast as you're putting it in, it's falling out the other side. And you sit around and say, at the end of the month, where's all my money? You spent it, doofus. I'll tell you what you do. You get down on your knees somewhere and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living such a lustful life because that's where the problem is. I want this. I want that. I got to have this. If I don't have that, I, I'm not going to be happy. Why don't you get down and repent of that and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to learn to be content with the things that you've allowed me to have thus far. And lo and behold, you'll quit spending money. And you'll turn around and look at your bank account one day and magically, there'll be a whole lot of money there unless you're married. <laughs> then it's probably going to get spent anyway. You see what I'm saying? I know you see what I'm saying. It's true. You repent, get, get your heart right, and boy, get out of that mess. Now look at here. This is really the crux of the sermon. Verse 10, God the sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. Verse 11, for behold this selfsame thing. Watch what he says. That ye sorrowed after godly sword. Here's what, here's what it brings out. What carefulness it wrought in you. You ever got right with God about anything? Anybody in here ever got right with God about something? I mean, wept over what you were getting right with God about. I mean, it grieved you so bad. Boy, God revealed that thing and opened it up so clear and so blatant what he thought about it. Boy, it broke your heart. I don't know if you've ever been there, but boy, if you never have, maybe you need, maybe you need to start looking in your life. I don't know. 
But boy, God begin to deal with your heart about that thing and you get right with God and you experience the forgiveness of God on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. You get up off your knees and you know what you got in the back of your mind? Boy, I don't want to do that again. You get up and you walk away and you, you go out and you start living your life the way that you've been living, trying to conduct business as usual, go to work and do what things that, whatever it is that you got to do. And the whole time in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, I got right with God about that thing. Thank God. But boy, I better watch out and make sure that I don't go back and get anywhere near that stuff. Make you be careful about who you hang around. Make you be careful about what stuff you put in front of your eyes. What a lot of Christians are doing is there's a line that's been drawn in the sand and you go over that line and that's transgression. You know what a lot of Christians are doing? How close can I get to the line before God yells at me? But you know what happens when you repent? You don't try and get as close to the line as you can. Get way over here. Legalist! You legalist! No, I'm just careful. I got right with God. Let me say something, because this is a pristine place to say this. I think on Wednesday night I made a comment about ladies don't wear pants in church. And boy, there was a hush that went over this place like I ain't heard in a long time. Kind of made me nervous. That was one of those times when I went home, Brother, Kurt, Brother, Brother Chris, and said, I wonder what that was all about. So let me just use this opportunity to say this. I'm not going to come down to your house and tell you what it is that you've got to wear. I just, I, that's none of my business. And listen, if you want to wear a pair of pants to here in the church, you help yourself. But I don't feel comfortable with a woman wearing pants in a church. And the reason why I made that comment is because I'm watching all these new age churches. I'm watching all these New Age, independent, quote-unquote, Bible-believing Baptist churches. And that's in a big quotation marks because they're not Bible-believing. But anyways, they're probably not even Baptists. And they got all these girls standing up in the choir. I can't do that because I ain't got no rhythm that way. I can play a piano and play a bass, but I can't dance. Thank God. You don't want to see this white boy dance. <clears throat> I mean, quit you dancing too, by the way. David danced, but yeah, but he wasn't shaking his rear end. He was dancing before the Lord. But I'm watching all these girls stand up in churches now, in Baptist churches, and acting like they're a black choir. They're all wearing pants. Preacher stands up and says something, and they all sit there and... I mean, Lord have mercy, that's as fake, that's as fake as a $3 bill, man. Got so much makeup on, look like if you took it off, you'd find Jimmy Hoffa under there. This kind of preaching offends me. I kind of hope it gets under your skin a little bit. I'll probably be sorry later, and then I'll get over it. I'm not telling you, all I'm telling you is that there's a line. When you begin to get right with God about stuff, you want to get as far away from that line as possible. There's fellas that I have heard preach, preachers that I have heard preach. Listen to me. Please listen to me along these same lines. I've heard preachers preach, and they, they hound. They hound 
on ladies not wearing pants like that's the epitome of spirituality. That's ridiculous. It's just, it's just stupid. But I will say this. That don't bother me for obvious reasons. I'm not a woman. So it don't bother me. But I'll tell you some, another reason it don't bother me. Because why would I holler? Why would I get so upset about somebody trying to get as far away from the line as possible? I'm certainly not going to watch somebody dress immodestly, man or woman, and try and defend them and take up for them. You see the thing? Repentance. It's godly sorrow that worketh repentance. What carefulness it wrought in you. I could do this. Well, I just don't feel right getting as close to the line as I used to. I want to get as far away from that line as I possibly can. I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take those standards, those self-imposed standards. I personally am not going to take those self-imposed standards that I make to get as far away from the line as I can and make you abide by them. But I'm not going to complain if you take them and do it. You say, why? What carefulness it wrought in you. See, I just destroyed the whole spirit of the church there again. That's okay. It's, it's, it's really okay. You want me to talk about wearing shorts again? <laughs> Anyways, what carefulness it wrought in you. I really want to get finished. I'm sure you all want me to as well. But <clears throat> don't say amen to that. Yea, what clearing of yourselves? You got right with God about something? Clear. It's clear. You know what, man? When you get right with God about something, you know what takes place? It doesn't matter if anybody else clears you. I got right with God, man. Boy, I got joy back in my heart. I got peace. Man, I'm clear. What clearing of yourselves? Listen, when I run into somebody, listen, when I run into somebody who professes that they got right with God and they're still bent out of shape about somebody else not recognizing the fact that they got right with God or recognizing the fact that they haven't cleared me, in other words, is what I'm trying to say. That's an indication to me that you care more about the fact of whether or not they cleared you than whether or not God cleared you. I'm clear. Hey, I got right with the Lord. It's been forgiven. Let me, let me apply this very specifically and say this. Preacher stands up and preaches against the particular sin that you're guilty of. Oh, he got me. Oh, God, help me. It'll probably make you mad a little bit at first. Go home. God, forgive me. Lord, I'm so wrong about that thing. Help me. You come back in the next service. You come back in the next service and he preaches on the same exact sin. If you got right with God... You've been cleared, right? You know what you can do now? That's right, preacher. You say, why? Because I'm not guilty of it no more. Blood of Jesus Christ cleansed it away. It's washed. But things that make me go, hmm, is when you stand up and preach something, and somebody says, yeah, I got that right with God. And then you preach on it again. And I thought you said you got this thing right with God. Why so sensitive about it still? You didn't get right with God. I'm, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to pose it as a question. I'm going to just tell you, you did not get right with God. You're playing. 
Now, that's your business. That's between you and the Lord. I can't make you get right with God, but I'm just telling you the way that it is. You get right with God. If you repent, there's a clearing that takes place. Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Okay, now a preacher can preach on the same stuff that I was guilty of in that old life, whether it be before salvation or before I got right with God. No big deal. Amen, preacher. Good preaching. How else you going to grow? Okay. Yea, what indignation. What fear. Make you walk a little bit softly. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. You know what, Brother Pedro, when you get right with the Lord, you've been walking on the wrong path for a, lot of, for a long time, and God shows you, man, you're wrong about that thing, and you finally get your heart right with God. You're not content to just sit on your butt and just sit around and say, I got right with God. Now you want to do something in the opposite direction. I'm, I got right with God. I got right with God. Okay. Where's your works? We're not saved by works, Brother Nathan. James says, I know I'm going to a place that doesn't apply to the church, but I don't care. James says, he says, you say you're saved without works. He says, show me your works. Let's see him, big boy. What vehement desire. Yea, what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. We don't have to prove nothing to nobody in the Christian life. All we have to do is just live in where God knows what's in our heart. That's not what Paul said. He said, you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. According to who? If they got right with God, God knows. Buddy, we see the evidence. We see the evidence. You got right with God, that begins to show up in your conversation towards people. People begin to see it. You're clear. And man, we see it. What a blessing. You know what I'm looking at here tonight? I'm looking at a bunch of folks that somewhere along their lives, God dealt with them. They got down on their knees and said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost and on my way to hell, God, I need to be saved. Would you save me? And boy, God reached down and saved your soul. And boy, you're clear, man. Some of you got saved off of a church pew as a little kid. Some of you got saved from reprobate lives. Preacher can now get up and preach about the stuff that you used to do. Some of the stuff that some of you folks were guilty of is the same stuff. I've watched you. Of course, I don't know a whole lot about a whole lot of folks in this church about your prior life because I don't want to explore in that stuff. But I know one or two things that you've said, you've testified in church or maybe said to me personally. And I've watched myself or Brother Mike stand up here and preach about stuff. And I've watched you sit right there in your pew and say, amen, that's right, that's good preaching. You say, what's going on? God cleared. Boy, there's something that's taking place. You say, what is that? That's what repentance does. I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in this repentance that says you can get right with God, quote, unquote, and then go and live the same old way that you used to live. I have no confidence in it. I just don't have any confidence in it. You say, well, that's the way that it is. I don't see it in the Scripture. 
I don't see it in the scripture. I don't know what change God is going to bring about. I know that God is going to ream you out and God's going to begin to deal with you about things. I don't know at what pace. I don't know what issues God's going to attack first. But I know when you get saved or when you begin to get right with God, God is going to begin to deal with you about issues. He's going to be, begin to deal with you about things, legalistic standards. God's going to begin to deal with you about that stuff. And it's going to be manifest somewhere in your life. That's a great blessing. Grave responsibility. You say, what's my responsibility? Respond. Respond. That sorrow comes in, somebody say something that, boy, oh, got me. Okay, don't get bitter about it. Don't run away like Judas. Don't run away like Esau. Don't run away like Cain. Run to it. God, I'm sorry. Help me. Help me. Watch what the Lord will do. Watch what will come about in your life. God, help us, Lord, tonight. God, I thank you, Lord, for the liberty. God, I thank you, Lord, for the attention of these folks. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. God, help us, Lord, to come closer to thee. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be very familiar with this repentance, God, that's described here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I pray that you'd help us, God, to live in a way, live in a manner. God, Lord, to where things, God, be different in our lives, God, than the way that they used to be. God, I, I, I see in the Scripture, Lord, that people, Lord, should constantly be striving. Uh, Christians, God, should constantly be striving to live closer to you and live cleaner lives. God, help us, Lord. God, I know, Lord, that according to Ephesians, Lord, the way that you do that is through your body, the church, God, people ministering to each other. God, help us, Lord, to subject ourselves, Lord, to your dealing. God, we'll thank you for it. God, bless these folks for being here. God, bless them in a way, Lord, to where they'll know it was for them being here. God, Lord, for, Lord, taking the, the word of God, taking the sermon, Lord, tonight. God, I pray you'd help us. Lord, watch out over us. Bless this church, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you for coming. You're dismissed.